Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Not only does God long for you, but you are like Him. What does this mean for you? How does it affect your view of God? How does it affect your view of yourself? How does that affect everything? This, this is, is the School, School of, of Humanity. Humanity. Hello and welcome back to the School of Humanity. This is Jason and Rachel Bullman. And this is episode 38. It is. It is. So last podcast, um, Jason was ready to just dive right into another subject that didn't seem like it was going to take two minutes. So I kind of cut him off. <laughs> I apologize, everyone. Um, but, you know, when you get Jason talking about prayer, he's, he's a little bit of a, a wild card, if you will. I'm a crazy man. About <laughs> Cra- crazy man. <laughs> Just just living life on the edge, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy Bullman, <laughs> Bullman Friday nights, you know? Um, but, so Jason, we were talking about St. Teresa of Avila a lot. And um, we were talking about um, the art of recollecting ourselves before prayer. Um, right. And that that is a gateway to what real prayer should consist of. Right. And then you were going to start talking about uh, some other guy. Yeah. Um, who's that guy? St. John of the Cross. Oh, you yeah. Know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's important. Yeah. Also a doctor of the church, you know. Kind He's of important. He's also like in the Batman movies, right? The Dark Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No. No, I'm, I'm thinking so of that sorry. Batman meme. <laughs> Wasn't like that that Batman meme where he's like slapping the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> I, f- I forget what it said, but oh there was gosh. this really great one on Dark Knight of the Soul. Yep. Um, anyway, St. John on the Cross wrote a book called Dark Knight of the Soul for everyone who <laughs> has no idea what we're talking about. That's what um, confused with Dark Knight Rises. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, continue. Yeah, I'm not distracted at all now. And, yeah. <laughs> so St. John of the Cross, you were going to tell us some things that we can do to prepare for recollection outside of actual prayer. Right. Um, so, well, to, to recapture what we talked about last week a little bit, we mentioned that, you know, we make the mistake of treating prayer mechanically and approaching God kind of almost um, without reverence, you know, and um, nervously, you know, and without practice. Uh, So, like, for example, if we have to pray out loud in front of other people, we might be thinking about what we should say and what we should do and and, um, trying to impress other people or whatever instead of realizing that we're talking to a person, you know. And and when when you say all that, just like last week when you said that, I remember just having my skin crawl because you know people like that. Yeah. You know people that when you're yeah. talking to them, they're not thinking about anything you're saying, they're not hearing you. They don't even see you really. They're just thinking of what they can say next or right. you know what they came to do. Um, right. And it's just so inauthentic. Right. And I, just, it, I mean, it's just a huge red flag to me. Um, one of the greatest gifts that I think that I was able to find in Jason was someone that saw me. You know, and someone that that listened to me and heard me. You know, it's one thing to listen to someone; it's quite a different thing to hear someone, um, right? And vice versa. And so, I mean, you did that, and I remember thinking, 
you know, this is what it's like. And that's what, that's really what we desire, not only to have for ourselves, but to give to the Lord, you know, that we see him, that we desire him, that we, we want to speak with him, that right. we want to listen to him. And St. Teresa of Avila would, would encourage her sisters to um, spend a great deal of time, at least in the beginning, r- trying to understand, if you will, um, who it is that they're about to speak to before they say anything to the Lord in prayer, you know? Spend a great, you know, she's like, even if your mind is wandering, even if you're trying really hard and you're struggling at it, what a great way to spend your time. And the Lord sees that you're trying to to um, place yourself in his presence, to understand he's there, and to really commune with him and not just do something mechanical. And he will unfailingly come and he will not let you get away from him, you know, is the way that she said it, um, right. which is so great. So she encouraged them, you know, before you even speak a word, if you set out to pray, you know, before you even say anything to him, rather than, you know, uh, try to muster up and start, you know, <laughs> saying whatever, uh, rather spend that time of just recognizing that he's real, that he's right. alive, that he's there with you, that he lives within your heart. You don't have to say anything. He wants you to love him. He will return that love. Gosh. So that's all he wants, you know. He just wants you. Um, but when the time comes for us to do that, there are a lot of things that come, and we're scared of silence and solitude because we recognize just how haphazard our mind is and how bad we are at quieting our mind down and being able to actually focus on God. And St. John on the Cross tells us that um, that our basic problem is that we all have, as he says, enslaved hearts because we continually give our hearts away in adoration at the altar of false gods, he says, you know. That's me. Um, our fundamental desire, he believed, was for the mystery at the center of our souls, the God of our belief, um, so because we have poured ourselves out into all these external things and not God, um, our heart somewhat becomes enslaved. This is a really, really great, you're going to love this, Rachel. <laughs> he says, God's creatures introduce us to God. However, in John's analysis, whoever or whatever introduces us to God may soon take God's place. Oh. The heart easily mistakes the traces of God for God. That which we can see, touch, taste, feel, hear, has the power to transfix us. Mm. And the heart, tired of its continual seeking, begins to settle down with lesser gods. (laughs) We let our lives be slowly centered around this trace of God and ask of it to be ultimate, to be the answer to our deepest desire. John calls this type of relationship an attachment. In an attachment, the heart gives itself away in slavery to an idol, asking some part of God's creation to be uncreated. Is that not it? That's amazing. Isn't that good? (laughs) I knew you'd like that. Um, So basically, 
we are asking, you know, things that cannot be God to be God for us. And we do that even with people, you know, or even with your spouse, you know. If you don't love God above all things, then you're going to... I've been and, telling you for a long time. I know. Not <laughs> to not make you... there. Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, your spouse can't be God for you. And if you try to make him or he or she, oh you know, gosh. God, then... So, what? I mean, is that what it made you think of? Though, but seriously, when you read it, what did it make you think of? It made me think of a couple things. First of all, I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, but first of all, it's, it's kind of a great testament to the school of humanity that we talk about that God can be, you can find God in, in all of creation. And that's a beautiful thing. It speaks to the dignity of creatures, the fact that traces of God exist out there and they're so beautiful in creation that you can transfixed on, on those things where you find the traces. Um, Uh uh-huh. So, in a sense, you know, it's a beautiful testament to the dignity of creation, especially human nature, um, which is innately good and um, in the image and likeness of God. So that's my first thought that came to mind. Um, The other thought, though, is just that was so beautiful. I don't know if you caught it, but he said, like, the heart tired of of constantly seeking will settle on on a false god. Um, hearts are always are always longing for God, you know, and we right. we constantly. I'm convinced of it, and you know, just from my experience and just being human and alive around other people, just that we are never satisfied. I mean, it's just a constant thing. You know, we are always longing for that complete Our hunger will always, love. always exceed our reach. Right, right. So is that, those are your two things? Um, I mean, did you have like any kind of, kind of concrete examples that you think you've seen this happen? Oh, well, what, what's on your heart? Mine was going to say, like, music. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> because, I mean, I, I definitely came from that school of thought at one point where there's just music that is just amazing. Actually, when Jason and I first met and when I was going to um, RCIA at Holy Family in Orlando, I was going on Tuesday nights and he didn't know uh, because he thought I was going to this church on Tuesday nights in Orlando that just had amazing music. I mean, like unbelievable music, music that moved you at your core, you know, and it wasn't Gregorian chant. It was just that it was just really well done. Um, I later found out that like all of the people got paid to be there. Like, (laughs) I mean, they probably wanted to do it, but it was like an added bonus. They would also get kind of a stipend, um, for helping out. Um, and they were amazing. Like some of them toured with, with, uh, you know, international recording artists and stuff like that. So um, anyway, they were phenomenal. And when you're reading that, that's what it made me think of. Hmm. That, you know, sometimes you'll be listening to, you'll go to a, a concert or, you know, whatever church service, and there's music that awakens something within you. Right. And there is traces of God there. Right. Because obviously it wouldn't, it wouldn't make 
make your heart move the way that it does. Oh, yeah. But then what happens is that we think that, gosh, well, it's not really God, it's that music. You know, we don't we don't think, I mean, you don't outright think that, but subconsciously you're like, oh, in order for me to find him again in that way, I'm going to have to do that listen again. To music. I'm going to have to listen to that music. Yeah, yeah. And um, the enemy has thus succeeded to make sure that you are never in silence again. Right, right. Um, yeah. Oof, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big part of our culture now, yes. especially um, contemporary Christian culture. Right. Yeah. So. Because they equate worship with music. Right. I mean, and if there's any type of silence, you know, it just makes everyone uncomfortable. There was this, um, there's this song out there that came from Europe, Andy Park, I think maybe wrote, no, Matt Redman. Um, and Matt Redman was a worship leader at a Protestant church um, in Europe, and he was leading worship, and the music was fantastic. I mean, people were coming in droves to hear it. And um, one day, he just realized that no one was really coming there for God anymore. Right. That people were just coming there for the music. So he got up, and he said, for until God tells me otherwise, we're not going to have music. And so they did. They just got rid of music. (laughs) And, um... It lasted for a while, and the first song that he wrote after that was over was The Heart of Worship. I don't know if you remember yeah, that song. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, but it starts out, you know, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and we simply come. And that's where where that song was born out of. But, I mean, it's, it's such a... Music has become so... And it, music really is another language for us, you know. You could take oh, music yeah. to places that don't speak the same language of whatever the lyrics happen to be in and it'll still move people right um the church has a lot to say about that actually right yeah um but it it, music does not replace you know authentic encounter with christ right so it's a means it's not an end right Um, just like uh even silence itself is a means not an end um right yeah um but Silence is kind of the par excellence means to encounter. And so St. John of the Cross analysis is that whenever we give our hearts away in an attachment, um, we not only become like that which we love, but we become possessed by our loves. He says, quote, because love not only equates, but even subjects the lover to the loved creature. The satiation is so distorted that John describes it as slavery, you know. So it's like, you know, whatever you love, because love is innately vulnerable and and submissive, really, um, in the proper sense, submissio, under the same mission, um, if you love something that's below God, you are, in a sense, making yourself a slave of it, you know? Um, right, which is why it is so unearthing. Like, if you, if that love is music, like we've, we've just mentioned, is right. that if, if it's taken away, right, we find it um, so alarming because we feel like we can't connect with God right. anymore. Right, So So, you know, to get back to why we were talking about this in the first place, I mean... These attachments we have to recognize, and they come about, though, what's beautiful is that when you actually get in solitude and silence and you're 
authentically trying to recollect yourself and stuff is you're going to find the things that pop up in your mind are your attachments, you know, a lot of times. So, so often my mind is totally clear. Right. I'm just <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to kind of come to understand what these attachments are and then purge them from our life. And that's what the two, actually it's all one work, but divided into two books. The first one's called The Ascent of Mount Carmel, and the second one is Dark Night of the Soul. But that's what he, sp he alludes to, is that in order to find and be able to pray, you know, and put Christ above all things, you, it, it, it comes with it after a purging process. First is the purgation of the senses, he calls it, and that is all those things that we're attached to that have to do with the five senses, you know, the things we see, touch, you know, taste, um, smell, and hear. Um, I'm impressed that you remembered all that. Yeah, you know. But, of course, those are kind of the more superficial attachments that we have, you know. Right. Um, if we're attached to something like music, like you said, or food or drink or um, lust of the eyes, you know, sexual things, you know, whatever it is, those are the more superficial attachments. Once you become detached from those, then your prayer life greatly increases. But that's not the end of it, you know. That's only the beginning, he says. And after that, you go through the dark night of the soul. So that's the dark night of the senses. Then you go through the dark night of the soul, which is about, um, you know, this sort of passive purgation of all the spiritual attachments that you have, even the attachments to, to these ideas of what you think God is or who God is or right. that you have about God have to be purged from you because God is infinite and any sort of idea that you have of him has to go too for you to, um, to authentically know him because the true knowledge of God is something that is gifted to you not through even uh, the senses or through um, anything that you can do, but it has to be given to you by God. And this knowledge of him is essentially love. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is so, oh, it's so frustrating because it's so, it's so very easy, but we tend to make it very hard. Right. Um, so we tend to say, you know, this is a, this I have to meet this person and then we, we, we try to make up what that person might be like and oftentimes it's much different. Right. So that's it's a really beautiful thing to be able to how do you I, but it's such a difficult thing. How do you do that? So yeah, that would might that would definitely be my next thought is you know, how do you how do you let go? Of, of whatever preconceived notions we have of the person of Christ. Right. Which would be a really beautiful thing that we could talk about in our next podcast. Yeah. So this week, you know, we're we're making it a little bit shorter than our normal ones, but there's just so much that we want to get into, and we hope that you will stick with us and come back next week as we talk about um, maybe what our, our own preconceived notions of Christ were. Right. And how those things were, were taken away and, and the practical ways that we right. were able to discover him. I think the, the, you know, it's kind of like this war between 
your longing for for Christ and for sainthood, for holiness, for loving Him, versus you know these attachments to the the things of the world that you've always clung to and almost made a part of who you are. Right. And uh, how do we go about you know stripping those things that we think are so important to us um, for the for the sake of Christ? So. Let's talk about that next time. Awesome. God bless. All right. God bless.